sometimes the best way to get over your own insecurities is to have a drink among friends. We can be those friends. You're listening to The Shakes on Mule Radio Syndicate. You know what I ordered, though? That what did should you order? be delivered to the door pretty soon. Yeah. The, uh, the animated Hobbit. Your oh, comment, the Rankin Bass one. Yeah, your Rankin ba- your comment, yeah. I'm like, damn, I got to get back to the, I got to watch that again. Yeah. I thought that it would might be on Netflix, might be able to play it on Netflix. Nope. No, no. Mm. Uh, I think you can get it on Amazon Prime Video. Ooh, but well, I mean, I but you bought it, yeah, you, and yeah. So like yeah, that was that was the first um, that was the first videotape that I ever purchased. I on grew up beta. on that, and then Bakshi's uh, <laughs> yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, Beta. I bought that on oh, Beta. I think it was like fifty dollars. <laughs> I saved all summer long for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really that was really smart. Yeah, I, in college, really I got I got like I got I had like a couple of movies that I'd rented. And it was right at the end of school. Yeah. Super drunk in my in my room. One of my fraternity brothers comes in, goes, Hey, can I oh my God, you got this? Can I see this? I'm like, Yeah, yeah, go take that, man. Go check that out. And then, you know, cut to middle of summer, have no idea who I lent it out to. I got the place calling me. And, you know, at that time, it was like 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so I'm calling all my fraternity brothers all over Nebraska going, uh, you got this? Uh, can you send it back to me? <laughs> Thank God it was somebody in Lincoln. I, was like, I oh. had something very, very similar happen to me. But but I packed. I, I was living in the dorms. I think it was like freshman year. And, yeah, I ended up packing the video in all my stuff because it was, you know, like finals week, whatever, sure. you know. Watched video after it was all over, packed it up, and then, yeah. Middle of summer, I get this postcard. I'm like, uh, oh boy. So I so I saw <laughs> so, so I saw the Hobbit in 48 fps. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Not a fan. It's Not just it's got to just feel weird. It reminded me of when Shelley Duvall did those like fairy taste fairy tale specials on Showtime. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah, I don't like that hyper real. It's yeah, like, just, yeah. And we talked about this a while back. T- it's like and yeah, in, when in the, the original fantasy, one was doing yeah that. in the fantasy yeah. world. I want to see. I want to see the film. I want to see the golden parts. I, mm-hmm. I don't need it to go. I mean, it was pretty cool how they made stuff look like. It was yeah. like this hyper real, but on the other hand, is she, well, is she there? Yeah, she's she's getting ready. She's getting ready to uh, dial in. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Oh, you made it. I did. Good. I, you know, the points against you for just not kicking the CEO out of that room and saying, <laughs> I need this thing. That's right. I booked this, damn it. I, I got a really this. important podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, points against me, points also for me for keeping my job. There yeah, you go. Yeah, well, there's that. We, there's that. We, can't, we can't fault you for that at all. Right. We would have had a lot of material, though, had you gotten <laughs> fired on the spot for kicking the CEO out mm-hmm. and still keeping with the podcast. Right. You know, better. Yeah. I, feel, I feel always better to grumble, uh, write an anonymous, passive aggressive blog post. There you go. Yep. And bitch about it on the air. Yep. That, there you I mean, go. Really, like that's the San Francisco way. That is <laughs> so, the San Francisco way I've heard. <laughs> I wouldn't be familiar with that, but uh, yeah, no. I think that I think that is that is true. We were just kind of hanging around here, killing time, talking about the Hobbit. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, I hear there's a lot of women in the Hobbit, so no wonder guys were talking about it. <laughs> so, uh, everybody out there, this should be a fairly familiar voice on the other end. Here we have Leah, for, the former 
host of Let's mm-hmm. Make Mistakes. She's decided to come hang out and crash on, or did I did I say Let's Make Mistakes? I did. I said Let's yeah. Make Mistakes. Okay. I just, well, Mistakes, Shakes, they sound familiar. I was afraid. So I, it's, I think I think they were doing for the rhyme. Yeah, that's that's so. Anyway, <laughs> you you you're here now. Yeah, you're like you're now. You guys are like, did we think this through entirely? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we we uh, we wanted to drill your brain on some things like cool. that. Okay, awesome, great. Which is fun because now that I've been working um, less on uh, now you know now that I've stepped away from the. Uh, the client side of things and I've yeah. been working on a, a single product. It's fun to have a, a different perspective on that. Um, and how, you know, you're, we're really thinking about the planning side of that, even as a team before we make things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just, it's not just me who thinks about it. It's actually our whole, our whole design team. We work on it together and we really think it through. So well, it's been, been a really fun process. Yeah. Let's start there actually, because I think th- that's probably the, the first big difference I'm sure that you found is that uh-huh. since you are on a product now you're diving really deep and you're going to go as deep as you possibly can go because now mm-hmm. your experience set, it just, you know, pertains to the one thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, talk, talk to us about, uh, about that and how was that jarring to you maybe i'm I'm sure a pleasant surprise but you know something that you weren't that surprised about i would hope go we mean going going deeper into the well i mean yeah Yeah. or just the process that you know some things that uh i don't know see now you you say Mm -hmm. we should we should have you know thought this through before maybe you should (laughs) have thought this through before um because i'm gonna tell you i'm kind of fried right now i just my my brain is mush so so go ahead and tell me just read my mind and, and just tell me so, about your uh, product. Well, so what's what's so about so about automatic? Well, so I work for automatic, the one T, not the two. I don't work for the WordPress automatic. I work for the car automatic. Right, the one and, the uh, one T automatic. Yes. Yeah. Um, so automatic is uh, it's a dongle, which uh, always brings me joy to be able to say that uh, in any context. That. We use that all love the, time the word in Hallmark dongle. <laughs> Who doesn't love the word dongle? Yeah. But um, long may it live. Uh, So it's a dongle. It plugs into the OBD2 port of your car. Um, Your car, as long as you drive a car that was uh, made in the U.S. after 1996, your car has an OBD2 port. So this Um, is like the uh, little thing that, so progressive in their snapshot probably plugs into the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It took me a really long time to be able to say OBD2 port because everybody, when they start, wants to say ODB. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, to port your your old dirty, dirty bastard, bastard port. <laughs> it's not so. It's your onboard diagnostic port, um, and this is kind of where, like, if you have a scan gauge or a snap on, uh, or where when you go and you you know you take it to like your check engine light comes mm-hmm. on and you take it to the um, mechanic and the mechanic plugs in as you know a scan gauge tool, any kind of tool that's going to tell you what's going on with your engine. Um, and this is this is where a lot of your emissions uh, emissions based. Uh, diagnostic trouble codes or your DTCs are going to come out. And so what this is not brand a brand new thing necessarily, but what it is, it's making it really consumer friendly. And what we're doing is we're taking all that stuff and we're importing it into your phone. So, you know, a lot of new cars have incredible amounts of information on your dashboard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's talent week that tells you like what your mileage is, um, what different trips look like, all kinds of information about like what kind of trouble code you're getting. And this is for, especially for people who drive older codes for whom that information is not available, such as I drive a uh, 2000 Volkswagen Golf. 
and basically it's it tells me that I have gas mm-hmm. um, and yeah, have driven awesome. um, a, a golf. <laughs> I love. I love. That's that's what I. If so I weren't great. so big and I weren't such a, I, I would. You would look I, like I, a gorilla on a I tricycle. Get, I want to get. A, I, I hear that in the spring they're going to introduce a larger GTI, and that's what I would want. Yeah. But I You're think so it would be a climb car with me. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, yeah, I really love, I love, I mean, in fact, I actually desperately need a new car. So if they're really introducing a new GTI, um, I, I'm hoping my, my car can hold out because my car needs a new, actually a new engine and my engine needs to be rebuilt or needs to be replaced, which, yeah. um, no, I'll d- I have to just get a new car. Yeah, yeah. That's, so, that's always um, the better choice. Right. If that's the case, I would totally look into GTI because I have loved this car. It has been so much fun and such a great car. How many miles um, you on that thing? I mean, I only have, I don't have quite a hundred thousand miles on oh, it wow. because, um, yeah, because there was a period of time where it wasn't being driven that much. Okay. And then I drove and then I got it back and I started driving a lot, but partly it's a known, it's a known issue with the early, uh, early golfs, um, from a particular couple of years where the piston rings, um, they didn't seal very well. And so you basically are, you burn oil like crazy. Yeah. Like you have to put oil in a lot. Yeah. And uh, if you caught it early enough, it was under warranty. And if you didn't catch it early enough, you are were screwed. And gotcha. I'm in the latter camp of gotcha. the screwed camp. Gotcha. Um, so also, by the way, all of these things I'm saying are things that I never in a million years imagined would come out of my mouth sounding in any way. Like I had any clue what I was talking about. Not that I don't, I'm not fascinated by cars. Um, yeah, but you sound like click and clack now. I mean, you're just, right. You're just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is part of the, the goal of what we are interested in uh, at Automatic. One thing is helping people drive more efficiently um, and save money on gas, save gas because it's a huge environmental concern. Yep. Um, and a lot of people are really interested in Automatic because they're like super data heads. Um, and we, um, you know, we're, you know, we're, I think, like, it, I mean, there's a lot of people, so I'll get to, into our users and what, what's interesting about them in, in a minute. But, um, you know, what, another thing that we're interested in besides saving money, saving gas, like, you know, driving more efficiently, which, um, or, or just smarter, um, which for me sometimes means chilling out a little bit. It's because our product, it um, sends you a little alerts, like when you hit the gas too hard or you hit the brake too hard or you speed, um, you drive over 70 a lot. Um, because I can, re- for most cars, the more you drive over 70, the lower your fuel efficiency. Huh. For me, I know that when I, yeah, I mean, not, it actually just put up a blog post today that talks about fuel efficiency and speeding, um, and how most, basically most cars follow the same trend, which is that even though a lot of cars are fuel efficient in different ways and they're designed to be fuel efficient in different ways, most cars follow the same pattern, which is that at higher speeds, fuel efficiency drops and your behavior can really impact the ways in which you're, you have better fuel efficiency. And some cars are going to hit max fuel efficiency around 70. Some will hit it around 65 and it really depends on, and some will, some are designed so that they peak at 70 or they're, they're really fuel efficient for a long time and then they drop off. But for the most part, you, small changes can add up to more, you know, more fuel cost. Um, but the other thing that we're really interested in doing is helping people figure, like, get just kind of get to know their cars more. Because here's your you're driving this car around, and cars used to be mostly mechanical, and now cars are mostly a big, giant, incredibly expensive computer right. that you never ever access. And there's like, for most of us, we kind of go, "Oh my god, my car is throwing up an error. Is does this mean a I'm going to die? Yeah. B it's going to cost me a lot of money." 
see some other catastrophe. I don't know, just somebody take care of it for me. And like, there's a lot of stuff you can do and learn and know about, like, how often should I actually change my oil? What does tire pressure mean? Why is it important? How does that affect fuel efficiency? Like all of these things that like little maintenance things that you can learn more about this incredibly expensive thing that you get in and out of and drive and deal with all the, all the time. And like, why is that important to people and how can it be more important? Like how does the maintenance of your car matter? So, is so it, those are the things. Is it debunking some things that we've come to believe? Like when you said about how often you need to change your oil is how often we're told. Is that, oh, is that, that true? We haven't really or? gotten to that. I mean that, that, I don't know if we'll ever get into that stuff. I think it's more like, you know, I think it's it's kind of like helping people maintain their cars depending on the type of car, depending on you know, I, I don't I don't know if you're supposed to do it every three thousand, five thousand, I think it depends on the car. We so we actually on staff here have um a service technician who's been to school. He's super knowledgeable about cars, which is yeah. fantastic. Um, really great guy named Ian. And he, you know, he actually yelled at me for the way that I had not been taking care of my car. Um, and <laughs> it's, like that, it's like that Seinfeld episode with the uh, sob where Putty was there. Yeah. He's like, he, or it wasn't even Putty. It was some other guy like quit speaking to him because he's like, you're not treating your car. Yeah, you well. Right. Right. Well, I mean, it's kind of like, it's sort of like your friend who always wants to like, like, professes how they want to look really good and maybe like goes every once in a while and gets a really great haircut and maybe, you know, does like wears some great clothing once in a while, but then like you see them and they're like, I'm on a cleanse. Yeah. And I'm on a juice diet. And then like, but then like two weeks later you see them and they have like, you know, that you four whiskeys in front of them and like a pack yeah. parliaments. Yeah. But then like two weeks later, they're like this week I'm not eating any carbs or cheese and you're like what what is wrong with that's kind of how i treated my car for about 13 years yeah um and on top of the piston ring thing it was kind of like i would only put oil in it like when the check oil light came on because i didn't know any better partly because i didn't know any yeah better. how are you to know it was an issue well i mean i could i'm not i'm not i don't i don't know if you guys know i'm not as dumb as i make myself out to be like i could have known if i don't know I learned about car maintenance given the fact that I was driving around an expensive computer. Like right. that's the whole point, which is like we can feign ignorance, but ultimately like you are driving around an expensive, you're driving around like sometimes they're like $20,000, $30,000 things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then people are like, well, I didn't know I should have checked my oil every day. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> you, you damn well did know that. Like, like, yeah, why right. would you spend that much money and then expect not to have to yeah. maintain it? Okay, so right. two so two things. A, you you can't be that dumb if you have a PhD. And B, well, you actually you can. That is not true. Well, back uh, yeah, I, I was going to say <laughs> after that came out of my mouth, uh, I <laughs> yes, especially people who and this not my wife, but she is an attorney, and attorneys have you know PhD level degrees, and I know a right. lot of people who yes, okay, yeah. <clears throat> now so that was A, <laughs> B. <laughs> B is that you know it's it this is really interesting to me because at the very at at the very base level sure you've got uh, a way of helping people make 
some sense out of those crate because I know you know we have a we have a car that has a check engine light for this weird esoteric reason that every time I go and hit the mm-hmm. scanner it's not a it's not a serious thing so I just reset it and I go but it sure. helps you maybe understand that but then also at the same time it, it's almost like you are getting based on the types of I'm, I'm assuming, you know, and I don't know if this is where you guys are going, but you, you have a possibility of being able to almost build a recommendation engine or a, uh, you know, knowledge base based on the types of data that the car is outputting, which mm-hmm. I think is very cool. Yeah. yeah. And so how, so how do you guys take, you know, kind of because, because it is all very esoteric data, how mm-hmm. do you guys take that and, and, Look into how you make smart design decisions for uh, right. for humans based off that stuff. Right. Well, so. I mean, there's there's so many different directions we could go in, and this has been a really interesting process. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is kind of the heart of the question you're asking, which is there's we have the data that we sit on, which is all the data that comes from you know, like that, like there's all the data that you know that millions of drive miles or you know. People, you know, like different kinds of DTC codes being thrown or whatever it is, like all the different patterns that come up and do we, do we build an engine that people, like do we, how do we, how do we design the product? Is it a product around maintenance? Is it a product around um, driving? Is it a product, what is it really a product about? And ultimately, yeah. you know, it's, you know, we're, we haven't, we're, we're in the middle, we're in the process of designing, you know, really the next phase of the product. So I can't speak to that too, too much because obviously, you know, uh, then I would get in trouble yeah, <laughs> because yeah, it yeah. doesn't come out yet. Sure. But really, really, the, the amazing thing actually about working here um, is that for, you know, there are a lot of companies where you go, well, we're really user-centric. And I will say this, um, this is a very small company. It's very new with a new product that just shipped. And there is a user researcher here. Yeah. Uh, on a tiny design team. We're a very small design team. We're a very small company. You know, there's not that many of us. Um, and we have a, a user researcher on staff who talks to users, like sits down and talks to them, like does interviews and pulls people out of the community and pulls users out and says, I'd like to understand what you need. Now, sometimes users get upset because they think that, you know, they talk about features that are really, really, really important to them. And then we might not build those features right away. And they think that, you know, they, they told us what they wanted and we take that the information back and we think about how, how can we build the features that are going to, you know, increase the longevity of usage and increase engagement and is that the best feature to build right away and partly you know we we argue over what's important and not everybody's arguments win um and you know but we really think about we actually think about the the ways in which we we've sat down and worked on this product um and this especially the next generation and the next version of it as we're moving forward is really thinking about from from a really from a user centric perspective, as well as thinking about what are the design decisions and the product decisions that make sense to think, like, do you solve from people's problems or do you solve from what is engaging or do you do a mix of both? Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been really 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 fascinating um, to sort of sit on both sides of it and say, well, this is what users are saying, and then to come back and say, you know how do we how do we mix that in in terms of what we think is the right roadmap for the product 
while also because you can't meet every single user's need, right? And right. then you can't just you can't you can't you can't group every single user and say, well, these are their needs. These are their needs because do you build? Do you build? It's like the, the decision of do you build uh, a Swiss Army knife? Yeah, that meets right off the bat, or do you slowly branch out and say we're building this product? You know, and and so that's the sort of set of decisions you have to make, and it's kind of like coming up, but it'll be it'll be saying like, you know, what are the what are the decisions we make around how we build, uh, and which are the choices we make to make sure that we're 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 addressing what we hear from people while also making sure that we, um, you know kind of create a product that feels most true to the vision that we have inside the company and yeah. that feels best for what, you know, what makes sense to us. And I think, I think that has been really different from, you know, that was sort of something that one of the things I was really interested in after working, you know, with clients for a year is saying, I'm giving you these sort of insights into your product, but then you get to walk away and actually do it. And that's what was sort of fascinating to me after working with clients for so long was saying like, what is it like to sit down and get really invested? And there was the first time that I really had that this year when I was really fighting for something that I wanted and it was put aside and you know, the decision was that's maybe not the direction we want to go in. And I feel very strongly that it's a very important decision and I don't know if we'll address that and when, and to really feel that invested in something in the way that it should be built. And it's not that people don't think it's important. It's just that maybe that's not the right direction to feel that invested in it. I, I mean, it's like, you don't feel that way necessarily when it's not your, when it, it's a client project, right? You're kind of like, well, we can argue about it, but then that project's over. Yeah. Right. And ultimately not- you're going to do whatever it is that you want to do. But yeah. yeah, in the right. end, it's like you have that extra set of investment and you know, right. you all need to either do it or don't do it. And right. Then- you're going to live or die by those ramifications. Yeah. Right. And I think it's, I think it's also, it's like the stakes are different and higher because you're, you, you also have to, and then once you, once you say, okay, well, we're not going to do this, we're going to do this other one. You have to find it. You have to find a way to believe and to say, right, well, the one we went with is a great idea because if I don't believe that, if I don't feel that and find the, find the path to that one and I'm able to espouse and understand why we came to this decision, then I can't help build it. So, right. yeah. Um, so how do you, so how do you, how do you deal with that? Cause that, that's uh, the biggest uh, thing is, is that yeah. I feel like, you know, sometimes I'm like too easy to get on board with something, even when it's like going South and, right. Because I always want to be a believer and a supporter. And then I had creatives that I had some creatives that it was like, I had to spend a good day making sure that they buy in. And once they bought in, then Mm -hmm. they were on it, but it was such a pain in the ass. So it's like, how do you, how do you deal with that? Um, It's like, if you're not necessarily bought in and then how do you make yourself buy in or do you, or I think actually it's good to have those people who are pain in the ass. I think, really healthy doses of skepticism are incredibly valuable. Um, I have always been one of the, I like to call like to think of like, there's the crew in the front of the room. Like there's the heavy Kool-Aid drinkers. Mm -hmm. And then there's the like super, like the people in the back of the room. And then there's the people in the way back of the room who are generally like, maybe should be, I, so they're they're in the back of the room because they're trying to get out. Right. Well, and not necessarily the background because they're trying to get out. So, so part of it is like when, so I, you know, I used to work at IGN, right. And, uh, I was, you know, when I was an advice columnist in the nineties 
And I always think of it in like the way where it's kind of like the kids in the back of the room are kind of the troublemakers and they're going to poke fun and they're going to be part of the crew, but they're also going to be pretty skeptical. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the kind of skeptical people just describe are, my wife, my wife right. who, who is a creative director <laughs> as well. She is 100% that. And I am always that person who I'm always like, well, guys, the thing is, yeah. Um, and I think you have to have those kinds of people on your you team do. and they, they, they will, they will go to bat and they will fight for whatever it is that you guys have decided to do. But in their heart of hearts, they're not going to be a true believer. And I think it's cool. To, and I think it's in fact necessary to have those people because number one, then you are not like, I think when you're all true believers, it's really, I'm sorry, but it gets kind of douchey after a while. It, does, it just yeah. does. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you yeah, have yeah. to you have to constantly have somebody that's questioning why you're doing what you're doing. It's why I always love to hire people brand new that I have never really necessarily been part of the advertising mm-hmm. process because they're like, "Why do we have these meetings and what's a brief and all this stuff?" And it's such a huge pain it's in a, the ass. Yeah. But it, but it's it a makes refreshing. me question. Yeah, yeah it makes me right. question. Yeah, why do we do that? You well, know? Yes. and you know, and on the other side of the coin, I mean, the, the the last place I was, I mean, fantastic people, but man, I tell you what, it, it, every single one of them, all true believers, and I was the one asshole. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, and I mean, it was like, God, he's he's the dick, and I mean, why is he always every, being such? You know, yep. Every uh, team needs an uh, asshole. Damn it, I had to every do it. I had to a- do it. How are you going to shit if you don't have an asshole? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I really right. think like it's like this. This slow. I mean, every team needs an asshole. I mean, that's the thing is like. And, you know, everybody needs everybody needs that person who wants every single thing to be defined. And then halfway through, you want to throttle that person. And you realize, like, it's true. You have, we have to be – you have to think about what all these things mean. Yeah. And, every you know, every team needs its, you know, pedantic guy that you're kind of like, I'm going to – why are we defining all these things? But then by the end of it, you realize it was really valuable that that, that those things got defined. Yep. Right. And then by the end of – the meeting you also realize that everybody also needs to you you need to have that that kind of asshole person that's kind of like yeah i don't know about this or what about this or kind of hangs back a little bit and and is either deferring judgment or is willing to sort of make judgment and i mean i don't mean like in in the sort of you know blue sky brainstorming process where everybody like throws out their ideas but just stops and says this is where i see these problems this is where i see these problems this is where i see this maybe not or yeah you know, I, because I think, and I, I just also think like somebody who is a little more skeptical or is just not a true believer also tends to step back and out of the process a little bit and gathers perspectives. I mean, and maybe yeah. it's also because I work in, in tech in San Francisco where a lot of people who are hardcore true believers don't step out of their the bubble a lot. Yeah. And so a lot of what they like is just reinforced by a lot of what they like. And oh, their yeah, yeah, yeah. perspective is not reinf- is their 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 perspective is not widened by th- things outside of their their perspective. Literally, it's just it's just like this. That's like a tautology. Well, this is good because it's good. Yeah, you know. Well, and I think you that, look outside. Yeah, and I think that also, especially in in the product realm and and in tech products specifically, mm-hmm. because it's so easy to do. You alluded earlier to the Swiss Army knife. So mm-hmm. one one uh, 
a quote that I saw, or, or, and, and of course I'll paraphrase, but uh, you know, one of the things is, is sometimes one of the worst things you can do is, is listen to your users and what they want, mm-hmm. because then you do kind of end up with like this kind of Frankenstein yeah. or so. And so, you, you know, I think that, that it is that asshole, that pragmatist, that, that voice of reason, if you will, that hopefully can keep something focused Something mm-hmm. that stays a little, you know, a little bit minimalized. Uh, you know, it does does one or two things well. Doesn't do everything well for everybody. So uh, you right. know, and I think, and especially I think in the realm of what you guys are trying to accomplish. I mean, you you could go all sorts of places with this, but is it the best idea right. for you to do that? And so you know, and and so it's good to have that voice of reason in there. Yeah, that's now that's interesting. I had a conversation with my son last night about Kanye. Um, and, uh, so you can see the segue. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm searching for, <laughs> no, where no, this it's, it, it's about, um, and somebody from Goodby, uh, said this quote and it was so right on. And it was, uh, if, uh, no one hates it, then no one will love it. And talking about an idea and knowing that you had to have that balance, um, that if there weren't doubters, then there weren't going to be people that truly embraced it. And, uh, yeah, we were talking about that in Kanye and I used that quote saying that Kanye put himself out there because he talked about, they were talking about how he had a Confederate flag around his, um, shoulders and what that meant and stuff. And I said, Kanye is all about, uh, polarizing people. I mean, he wants, Mm -hmm. he wants people to love him and hate him. And, and that's what makes him a great person is that he's not trying to, be the Swiss army knife. He's not trying to be, otherwise then you're Jay Leno, you know, it's like, then you're really just, you're just nothing. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and so anyway, yeah, I'm no, yeah, still not sure it. where that went. Yeah. Well, I you know, I just, Hey, I, I just had Leah, did that make any sense to you? Yeah, I, just throw no, I mean, I think it does. I think, I mean, I think working Kanye into a conversation is always a valid and uh, noble, a noble me, endeavor. Makes me feel hip and with it. I mean, let's be frank. I worked Beyonce into literally every conversation I've had since last Thursday. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have every time I try and listen to anything else in the past uh, five to six days, um, it has been a failure. So, right. um, anyway, the the point is that I mean, for me, I think you. One of the things that we really actually are we have done well is really try and balance. Um, users listening to users and thinking, and I think it is a very difficult thing to do, which is to listen to your users, which you do. I mean, you do You have to listen to your users because your users are using your product. Your users are who allow you to, I mean, have a product in the first place. Like you can create something and put it out there and then it turns out people like it. Um, but you know, you're 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 not just going to be creative geniuses forever sitting in a bubble, right. um, making neat stuff. I mean, you can be, but then maybe you're making art. Um, and I mean, I think I think that there is a lot of value in listening to users, but there you have to find the balance between saying, okay, we've listened to users, and now that's where the value of pulling out insights yep. and thinking about strategy. Um, and I mean, one of the things that I think is really great is working with a team of people who try and piece things together and think, okay, so these are all of these, and these are all of what we're hearing. Let's pull out some of the most valuable insights. 
let's piece them all together and let's think about what kinds of categories do they fit in. What's the most important category that we want to focus on? What feels most true to the right, like the direction in which we want to head? Um, why does that direction feel best? Or what are the couple of directions we want to fit in? How do they fit with the, the you know, I mean, that's really what we did is we sat, I mean, we, we talked through this, we looked at it, we pulled out directions, we moved in different directions, and we thought about what direction actually makes the most sense for how we've, we've come this far, and then where we'll be going in terms of making sure users stay engaged, making sure we're meeting people's needs, um, doing what we've been doing so far, and also moving toward a lot of these things that people are saying, like, so that rather than it's kind of like you have all of these free-floating ideas, because basically it's kind of like you have all these free-floating ideas and, and they sound, oh my God, like we have to do all, like a thousand users want a thousand different things. But really the truth of it is, is there's a, there are patterns in all of those things that people want. And if you can find all of those patterns and then you group them together, maybe it turns out that ultimately there are five to 10 major things that users want. And can any of those five to 10 things work well together? Yeah. So maybe three of them work well together and maybe you move in the direction of those three things and then could they lead to some of the other ones over time? Is that possible? And that's where your strategy comes out, right? Yeah. Or do and they I become think, a separate product or do you right. ignore them? Or Yeah, exactly. Right. And like that's, I mean, it's really hard and it's very time consuming and I think it's very time consuming in part because we, you know, we work at startups, we want to move really fast, we want to build a product, other people are doing stuff, it's super hard, we, you know, we have small strapped resources, all of those things, and then you think, well, you could also just throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks, and then have your users get mad, I mean, like, you don't know, like, that's, that's very, they're very difficult decisions to make, and they're very difficult decisions for all companies to make. Yeah. Um, so... But I think there's benefit in listening to your users, but you have to think about how you listen to your users. And it's the same as at a design agency. You listen to your, your, your clients' users. You go away. You pull out the insights. And then you say, from these insights, we recommend these strategies. This is how the strategy comes out. You don't just go, a bunch of stuff people said. How do you mm-hmm. think that sounds? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which totally, which totally segues into what you wanted to talk about that we don't have any time to talk about. So, so, so first off, well, first off, I'm going to say you'll come back, right? Yes, of course. Because because we do have we do we do have because we didn't even get to talk what Pat wanted to talk about. Well, she um, before we get off, she needs to talk about the title of her dissertation, which is on or off the record. Uh, the physician tra- something something transition. I don't know. I wrote it a couple of years ago. Yeah. Something something transition. I read the that name. and I was like, and then I passed what out. What is the full like title of my? Let's look at the full title of my. <laughs> I, I put it in the email. I yesterday. put it in the email because it was oh, yeah. the craziest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> no, the craziest shit you've ever seen was my first master's thesis because you know I got I also got a master's thesis um, from Georgetown. So my, my dissertation called on or off the record, the physician experience of the transition to electronic health record, you know, and I, so I did, I did my PhD, which meant I also had to do like sort of a master's in sociology on the way to my PhD. But I also actually did a a first master's at Georgetown um, before I did that. And that was in uh, communication culture and technology. It was super, super fun. And that master's was way, way more, way more crazy because I wrote about androids and cyborgs. And awesome. that one, that one is called. You can read it. 
It is on the internet. It is called Doomsday or Desire Do Androids Dream of Robotic Lovers. It is available on my website for your perusal. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I will read it tonight. Good God. It's actually pretty cool. It's no, about- it actually sounds awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you shit. That sounds awesome. Yeah. For, for, for the record, the title is a Dissertation on the Practices and Culture of Clinicians with Respect to the Adoption of Electronic Health Records. Yeah, well, the full what? title is On or Off the Record, the Physician Experience of the Transition to Electronic Health Record. Yeah, that would be a big, that would be a big topic in this town. Oh, God. With, with Where, Cerner wait. being the big, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, the big electronic so it was, health record people. So basically, I did, a, I did a sociological, um, I, I looked at behavioral stuff. Yeah. I did um, uh, behavioral stuff. That's very, that's the academic term. Behavioral um, stuff. No, so what I looked at was, I, I, it was a, I did a longitudinal ethnography. I sat in uh, ambulatory care offices for 18 months, um, for a total of, not, uh, not altogether. Um, I, I sat in them for nine months uh, first, and I looked at the culture of the clinics, the, the ambulatory care clinics, um, leading up to the uh, adoption of, sorry, leading up to the implementation of the electronic records. And I watched people use paper records for a couple of months, and I watched the culture of the clinics, and then I watched the doctors go through the training process of electronic health records, and then I watched um, the rollout of the electronic records in six uh, six clinics, and then I also stopped in at a number of other clinics because there were eighteen clinics total. Um, and I talked about how really the culture of your organization can heavily impact the ways in which you adopt a new technology, particularly a technology that affects and impacts um, your profession and your professional identity. And that organizations that are already have an ethos of working collaboratively and cooperatively are going to have an easier time dealing with it because they already tend to want to find a way to just sort of manage and deal with this major technological change. And that people who work in really combative environments, whether it's internally combative or combative with management are naturally going to have a harder time and they're going to find ways to avoid to fight um, and to undermine and to sabotage. And that there's another um, organizational type I call the silo, which is that people who are just sitting there kind of working alone and they don't know how to ask for help. You're going to have a different kind of trouble altogether, which is they're just going to find workarounds. They're going to make stuff up. They're going to have no idea how to ask for help and you're going to have a different kind of um, pushback. And that we like to think that it's just because people are old or people are dumb or people are stubborn, egotistical bastards because they're doctors, all of which may be true in a variety of ways. Um, but, but basically that, you get just a yeah. bunch of hackery. Wait, old people are well, dumb, right? I mean, that, I'm well, not wrong people, on that, right? <laughs> old people are dumb. Um, please do not make the title of this episode. We, we um, won't. But she knows but, how this works. I know. Yeah, I, I did it. I did this before. I'm yeah, not. This yeah. ain't my first rodeo. Uh-huh. But um, but that really, it's like you you can't just dump technology into a group of people and not expect that the ways in which they work is are going to disappear, especially not the culture in which they work. And, and that if you understand, like if you just spend like a week or two understanding the ways in which people work and you kind of put resources around not just the technology, but like giving people support in the way in which they might need it uh, and lack it inside the, 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 the organization or the office. Like if people already work together, 
give them group sessions. If people don't actually work together, if they fight with management all the time, figure that out ahead of time because they're going to fight with management you know, after. If people just sit in their offices and go, I don't know how this works and I don't go ask anybody, make sure you have someone on staff going around to every single office to ask if they have problems. And not just like nine to five when they're seeing patients, but after, after hours when they're struggling to figure it out. Yeah. You know what? I, I love the fact that there are people like you that, that really, really care about that, you know, because I mean, like starting saying I sat in nine months, like, wow, (laughs) there's no way I could ever do that. However, if I were working at Cerner and, and we're, we're working on improving the state of electronic records, how they're implemented within clinics. And these are all things that I would absolutely have to and want to know. So, I know that I'm not the person to do that type of stuff, but I'm I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that people like you exist, Leah. Thanks. So, okay, so as we're wrapping up, yeah. we have our standard question that we want to ask, and th- is, is there anything question? that, when you start thinking about it, gets you excited enough to keep you awake at night? Um. That's a very personal question. Um. <laughs> it can be a personal question, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a personal question. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, everything. Like, I, I stay up at night thinking about all kinds of stuff. Like, I will just start looking stuff up all the time. I mean, I didn't... I mean, what was I just looking... I mean, I also, like, all of a sudden, like, look stuff up. I can't even think of anything off the top of my head right now, which makes me now I look like, yeah, all kinds of stuff is a really bad answer. <laughs> well, okay. So, no, like like last night, I, I, for some reason, did a deep dive on Danny Thomas. Right. So, yeah, yeah I get it. I get Danny. it. I get it. No, but I mean, I used to, I used to, like, I mean, well, I used to swing dance and jitterbug. So, um, that is not an unfamiliar set of, uh, like, I would, I would end up on a Danny Thomas page at some point in my life. Yeah. No, I, like, pretty much, like, I... There, I mean, I, I think I'm just sort of fascinated by, like, I think that's the problem is, like, I'm kind of a generalist. Um, I'm sort of fascinated by everything. I think the thing that honestly keeps me up thinking the most is how people communicate and how people talk to each other and how at some point we all, that's one of the things that keeps me up the most at night is we, we all think we are really easy to understand and we are all basically impossible to understand as human beings. And we like we talk to each other and we have no idea that we're just all like we we're we're all kind of following these set patterns of of discussion and behavior and and tone that are we're half the time just talking past each other or we're just saying things where it's kind of like no wonder we're all so misunderstood all the time because we we just don't know how to communicate with other people and i'm really fascinated that like there's no kind of communication. There's no way to like train each other to train ourselves or to stop and say, okay, I'm going to mediate between the two of you because you you're, this is going off the rails and it's very clear how it's going off the rails. Ultimately what we need is we need a, an old dirty bastard port for uh, people <laughs> yeah. to be able to do the same. Yeah, you we know. really do. Like somebody, I mean, you know, I, when I think that was the best part about being, um, being the advice columnist when I, you know, when I did that for like teenage boys was just like saying, I mean, it wasn't helping them necessarily like understand how to talk to some, I mean, it wasn't like being right in the middle of the conversation, but it was like saying, Hey, you don't necessarily know how to talk to people. Look, they don't know how to talk to you either. 
But sometimes it's kind of like we are, we're all sort of terrible at it. Like we're all kind of monster. We're all kind of garbage sometimes. I'm garbage sometimes. I'm a monster sometimes. And it's kind of like, that's like staying up at night, recognizing like, if we could all sort of recognize what garbage we are a lot of the time, it would just make it easier. Like we are. Yeah. I want you a just, t-shirt that just says I'm garbage. I'm gar- she just opened up like a fourth episode worth oh, of shit. stuff that I wanted to. Yeah. A, teen, a teenage boy advice columnist. Yeah. And how we're all garbage. We are out of time for this one. But, right. uh, you know, hopefully, because we had originally scheduled you in August and it took us this long. So let's try to hopefully <laughs> make not, because, yeah, because there's lots of different things that I would love to talk to you about. So awesome. Leah, Leah Reich, Leah, thank you. So thank, thank you for coming very on. much. We'd like to thank Joel Gerhold for supporting the Shakes via Tugboat. If you'd like to show your appreciation for this show with the donation of a few dollars, visit tugboatyards.com slash the Shakes. We might point out that there is a new offer out on Tugboat. It's called New Microphones. We're looking to get new microphones for 2014. So if you happen to have $500 laying around, we would certainly appreciate the donation And trust me, we'll work out something very, very special as a thank you. The Shakes is produced by CocktailNapkinStudios.com and is a proud member of Mule Radio Syndicate. Mule Radio hosts a diverse array of shows, such as All Mod Cons. All Mod Cons satisfies your pop culture cravings with meaningful distraction in the first world. We invite you to check it out. (laughs) 